Hi, and welcome to another episode. I'm your host, Brian Maddox, and I am joined today by Evan Zaloga from Responsify. Welcome, Evan. How's it going? Uh, really well. Um, I think our audience would love to hear a little bit more about how you get started uh, and how Responsify came to be, and then we can dig into some of the more fun questions. Sure. Um, it's a long story, but I'll try to keep it short and sweet. Um, kind of a combination of a lot of the things that I love and uh, and I'm passionate about and kind of constantly working on mastering. So uh, kind of early on, it was, a, it was um, I was first and foremost kind of out there freelancing uh, in the creative world in New York uh, City. And so branding, website design, really communication design. Uh, also got to be a part-time professor while I was doing that and kind of uh, sharpen and hone my skills at sort of graphic design, communication design. And so then over time, I uh, decided I wanted to be a part of and, and build something sort of beyond my my own, you know, studio. And um, Responsify came to fruition uh, really around, uh, well, it's been 10 years now. So it's just a, the idea of how to help people, uh, you know, essentially transform the way that they're uh, conducting business and really helping companies that are more innovative, uh, trying to use Responsify as a way to kind of propel, you know, businesses that are that are doing good um, and, and helping to advance the world and people and society. So uh, that's where we got to start. And it was mostly a lot, like I said, branding, website design, and then uh, kind of morphed into, um, found out and fell in love with HubSpot, uh, and, and at the time, I had been deep in, in sales and business development uh, boot camps and training myself. And then just really uh, kind of stumbled upon what I think is is such a critical thing that I think a lot of people and companies struggle with. So that made it more exciting to, to problem solve for, which is content. Um, you know, ultimately, we're human beings. We uh, like people and companies have websites. Uh, they're all we all have something to give to the world. Uh, the website sort of you know is is meant to represent that and to ultimately you know help connect people. Um, and what I found was after interviewing a lot of great CEOs that I had just hounded and and tried to really get a hold of, uh, they just they sort of told me the same thing, which is like, hey, we have a website. Um, you know we've got this really innovative product or service. You know, we're having a hard time getting people to even find us. We're getting a hard time people even uh, recognize us. And we've got, you know, the best thing ever, uh, but nobody knows about it. So that's when I started putting two and two together. And I realized, okay, that really the opportunity is, you know, I started to look at websites as brochures and thinking about like, you know, you're coming from the print world, having a lot of those analogies on hand. Um, you know, you're, you're, the idea is that you're, you're presenting yourself in a very consolidated way in on a website, and that's great. And so that's always something that can be polished. Um, it was it became harder in terms of business wise. Uh, a lot, a lot of you know, a lot of tools came out. A lot of people looking to do websites cheaply. But the thing that we kept stumbling upon was that content. In order to bridge the gap between what their their customers' pains are, what they're going through. And what their the our clients um, you know solutions offered, helping to match make those two things and help make bridge the gap, uh, form relationships and connections, so that you know essentially they're we're creating natural attraction between the two, so that uh, marketing 
you know, given its its um, you know infamous history at at, at sort of destroying things, um, and uh, it it was an opportunity to kind of look at marketing from a different perspective, and and it's almost non marketing. It's more just about sort of relationship building and and, and um, creating a lot of educational informative content for people. So I, I consider it a form of marketing, but I think it's a very it's something that's very well received, and that our clients, you know, end users, their their prospects really enjoy and and I think find value in it. It just helps build a lot of trust and a lot of value. So that's sort of like a, a, sort of the quickest overview uh, of um, of how we got founded. And now 10 years in, um, we are much heavier into content. And then so, so that's sort of the front end was finding out like, what is the problems that people need help with? And then what what kind of services can we provide to help them with that? And and oftentimes they weren't uh, even when they're not aware of that problem. We had to help learn how to educate people about um, you know taking these approaches. And then on the on the back end of it, we then decided okay, so to do this this thing, which is creating a lot of content and beautiful websites and all those moving parts, it's a lot of work. And there's a lot of different moving parts. And how do you do this in an efficient way that is both a productive for the um, you know the the goal at, at hand, and you know that doesn't that whether we were kind of eliminating roadblocks along the way, and so it, it was very challenging. I feel like, well, like any agency, we've sort of tried almost everything: uh, project management tools, different you know types of procedures and, and documentation. And finally, I would say it's probably about four years, five maybe five years ago, halfway through our journey here, decided we needed to take it to the next level and to improve our whole client experience as well as our operation we developed our own app app basically it's a web app um, and currently it's client facing at some point we might release it to the public um, and it really is just a matter of helping to kind of streamline and quality control all the different important details um, that have to be looked at and measured along the way so that the end product if if for instance if we're creating a blog post there's at least 12 different steps involved. There's different uh, five or six different ind- different individuals that are um, sort of plugged in at different areas uh, along that that um, workflow. And then through by the end of it, you know, we get to the point where I think we had about 2,000 articles, for instance, last year that we put together. Um, I think we had two two times a client had said, "Hey, we want this completely rewritten." Um, so that's a it, it's it's. Basically, batting a thousand. It's one in that uh, one out of a thousand are, are at being asked to be rewritten. So we've got we're trying to get it down to a science, uh, and and that's been our mission is on the back end. How do we make the process of creating content more fun, more productive? Uh, making sure there's really accountability. It's a thing that I try not to talk too much about, but it is probably the elephant in the room. Is that how do we make sure that both we're able to hold ourselves accountable and our clients accountable? The things that need to be done in a certain time frame if they want deliverables to be done in a certain time frame <laughs> so that's that's the uh that's what we've sort of built out as a, as our own solution and then now we have this great platform that allows us to consistently innovate and come up with new features that help you know consistently um make the experience better for clients but also make sure that the quality of the content and the way that it's being you know, created and the voice of each client is being taken into account. All these different variables are, you know, top of mind um, 
through the process through many many people in the process so as an outsource sort of content creation marketing function one of the things i'm sure you experience all the time is your clients asking for content um that may or may not actually move their you know business forward yeah. uh, it doesn't move the needle then what's the point how do you how, a how often does that happen <laughs> and what's the consultative process you go through and then b is a follow-up question how do you help them get from get through that transition so i think a lot of that comes down to when you don't if it you know it, it, you, if you don't have a goal it's difficult to score right so the uh, the way we look at it or maybe the way that i've worst everybody to, to look at it is you know if you don't have a plan you plan to fail and so most clients when they're flying by the seat of their pants and they're coming up with a new idea of the day it's generally from what, now that i can sort of say 10 years in i've seen the pattern it's generally when there isn't a solid strat research and development done and a strategy put together that that sort of sets the roadmap of what needs to be done um, now, of course, occasionally in something like COVID, you know, sometimes there's a wrench thrown in the mix and you need to, to, to think about that. The way we structure it is that we really nail down. We spend a lot more time up front making sure that we have clearly uh, very evergreen paths of content that we need to build out. And then that becomes sort of like the, the standard uh, services is that we're doing a campaign per quarter and it's fo focusing on a specific topic. And we're not getting distracted by the shiny objects. We're just really focusing in on how do we how do we cover that topic so thoroughly that we're like done with that topic that that the client then has really a, a good library. You know, it's a dozen blog articles oftentimes and an ebook or some kind of calculator. And it, it thoroughly covers it so that it from a topic cluster standpoint, um, you know, Google can recognize it as you're not just shooting in the dark and, and just throwing things at, at keywords and into articles. You're actually really covering ground on different topics. And so that's how we, um, the approach we've taken probably the majority of our existence here. And it's paid off because it also helps, like I said, it, it, it creates a lot more um, credibility in, in both Google's algorithm, but also then uh, more, more opportunities for people to stumble upon uh, content within those campaigns. So then, then we we look at it from a logistical standpoint. If a client's like, "Hey, we need this this one-off thing," um, then you know it depends on what it is. Sometimes if it's a, if it's a simple thing, we just throw it in. Uh, you know, especially if we know that the client isn't constantly requesting things. If it's you know if it's a client, which you know we we're all human beings, we all have different personalities. Sometimes clients are more their expectation is that you're going to do everything forever endlessly uh, without any boundaries. And so that's where we, so those clients will typically set better expectations and say, okay, you know, here's what, here's where we're at. And, and anything that we do outside of that would be, you know, an additional change order. And we can, we can do that. It'll take X number of hours. Um, and then, then we're, I think having that earlier on when I was sort of freelancing, that was a, it's a conversation you're nervous to have with a client because you're, you're, you, you want to keep the client, but in reality, you're, you're, you know, it's like anything in life. You're, if you're not being honest with yourself and you can't be honest with the person you're, you're having a relationship with, in this case, the client, you're, you're really, you're, you're, you're going to create your own resentment because now yeah. you're doing work you're not getting paid for. And you don't so have a relationship at all. Yeah, exactly. The relationship really is not there. And so for us, it's like, for me, I'd rather be blunt and honest 
and occasionally lose a client who is over demanding and unrealistic. And just, I mean, we, we, we lay it all out in black and white. Here's exactly what we're going to do. Here's how much of it we're going to do. Here's right. how much time it's going to take. And so when they're asking for things that are outside of that, I'll oftentimes say, well, let's, let's go back to totally understand and respect what, you know, and then let's go back to the agreement. Let's look at what we have. And so that's, that's helpful for the people who are, you know, fair and reasonable. And then there's always going to be clients who are, who are not. Um, and so that's just, I guess, as you realize that, as I think about businesses in general, the older I get, I start to realize anytime you're inter interfacing any service, any human, you know, any service that involves a human being, uh, you're going to deal with some of that no matter what. Um, so you, you just, you, instead of being angry about it, just recognize that's, that's the nature of that type of business. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's, it, you trade one thing for another. For me, it's, it's if you know nine out of our ten clients, which is the case almost always, are like really fun to work with, really respect us. We actually, you know, naturally our team works a little harder for those clients because we know that it's recognized, um, and that and that you know at the end of the day we're working towards helping you know their goal, um, and then it's a mutual beneficial thing. So th things like even um, in our platform. You know, if you're probably all used to like looking at Google, you know, Google, you might you leave a comment on a bit of text. So we have we took that comment feature and built it into something on steroids where it's like, OK, you're going to leave a comment. Cool. What type of comment is it so that our system knows? Is this like uh, an appreciation that you want to show? Hey, I like I like this. Or is it, you know, here's a grammar issue or here's some other kind of issue. And we've just found that some clients are now starting to like naturally blend in some appreciation comments which i think is is it, it builds the culture right that's what it's if you yeah. don't if there are if our writers don't feel like they're being appreciated if you know and, and the whole thing has to, is reliant on relationships and how people treat each other right so um yeah so that's that's kind of one those are the types of things that i i'm always thinking about as we're designing tech features but it's really about like the human experience and how people right feel about it and how they're going to react to it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, and you raise an important point, the expectation setting side of that conversation all the way through actually helps the relationship. doesn't hurt it. Um, it I think it strengthens that as you go. At mm -hmm. least that's been my experience. Um, people, with nine out of ten, with nine out of ten people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, people are hiring you for your expertise and your expertise right. is really um, got to fall back to a process of some sort. Right. So that interaction has got to be scripted and structured to allow think, for those environments to emerge where you get that right. appreciation and mutual relationship. Yeah, I think there's I, the way I would I would create two buckets is that there are, and it's this I do believe is from sort of a, is set at the that as you know, they say that, you know, crap runs downhill. Uh, you know, basically, if, if the organization is from the from the culturally from the top, uh, you know, treats each other well and supports each other, then they fall into the category of a client that sees us as a partner, um, where we actually are working together towards something and that we can have honest conversations and sometimes not agree on things. I mean, it's like a marriage, right? You're you're not gonna agree on everything, but the things that the things that matter, you you work out and you're in it to win it. And then there's so that's one bucket I would say clients that can see us as a partner. And then they're they're more you know more easy to work with and more fun to work with. Then the other bucket I would say would be uh, like people who see us as a vendor, um, and that word always kills me because it's like I'm not you know like I think of like a, a, in my like 
you're not choosing between potato chips and pretzels. You're you're working with a group of human beings that are that are need to that are going to intimately figure out what's going on with your company and what you're doing and how are we going to help you. It's a team thing, and so right. um, vendors, I think, is a I, I get it from a supply. So if you're buying pencils, uh, but not you know when you're dealing with uh, you know B two B services. So right. That's where I think then that's where we kind of early on figure out, okay, what's this client? How do they think? How do they see us? And then the other thing I, I think um, is at some point, you know, right now we're just focused on like our, keeping our, our agency thriving and, and growing in that direction. And so we built this amazing software and platform to, to fulfill that and to, to make that more and more a reality. And then on the but on the the flip side of it, which is oftentimes how software as a service companies are created, we, we can then probably take that software and and build it, you know, restructure it in a way where it can then be a like an enterprise solution, um, and or uh, a creative service where people can just like a vending machine, they can kind of go there like an Upwork, but with more um, quality control and more pr- project management built into it specifically around creating content. So that's, these are different avenues we're exploring in terms of how do we, um, in addition to what we're building, you know, for 10 years in Responsify, how do we branch that off and also potentially help people who are, and a lot of times it's startups, right? So they have, they've, they're usually very uh, green. They're usually very young. They've got, they're going to, tackle the entire world and they're going to do it all themselves, which is, we know is not possible within 24 hours in a day. Um, and so oftentimes they just want like, I want to, I want X number of blog posts and I want to, these are the topics I want to cover. So they already think that they got it. And so that's where I think things like Fiverr and Upwork have been doing really well is that people can kind of transactionally get what they need. We're, we've been focusing in on more of the clientele who have tried a lot of those things on their own and they're realizing, okay, you know, we're, we're wasting time and money trying to do it on our own and sort of, you know, and and not getting the best results. How do we work with somebody who's going to help us make it, you know, do this better, faster, and cheaper than we could do on our own? And that's that's the sort of golden. Uh, is they say it's a utopia. I I say you know it's it's, it's somewhere in between. It might not be, um, you know. Uh, it, for every case, you know, people could definitely try to do things cheaper than us, but you know, there's always that compromise, the quality, and then you're, it's going to take longer. You're going to have to deal with the headaches of managing all those freelancers, and so we're just sort of trying to find the sweet spot so that people can, um, clients can can get a, an amazing value, and and you know, really, and it, and it's fun at the end of the day when you're seeing like you know, again, we do a lot of stuff through HubSpot and other CRMs that have analytics. You know, we're getting notifications throughout the day, like so and so just downloaded this ebook, so and so just visited this page. Um, it, it's fun because it's at that point, it's like you're 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 creating, it's gamifying like their marketing and sales process. Um, yeah. which makes it really fun. You have a, a history, and the backstory you gave kind of earlier in the episode um, was uh, from a real creative space. And as you've kind of embraced the sort of SEO nature and all of the kind of things that come out, I mean, it's quite clear that that's a data-driven sort of activity. How do you balance that creative sort of interest and background that you started with, with today's heavily data-driven approach to solving some of these problems? So I think the, I think the, the, the way to do that, and I think it's, 
you know, uh, I think it's a matter of balancing art and science. I think people generally are either really good. You have, to, you know, they, there's another metaphor. It's like you're, you're head in the clouds or your feet on the, on the ground. Um, I think that we try to do both. Like, that's the thing is like, we're trying to, luckily I'm, I'm tall. Sounds so like a long stretch. <laughs> I can, I can kind of, you know, I've got some, some cloud cover, but uh, it's, it's that it's the balance. So I think some people are so data driven. So I would say most SEO agencies look at it from a point of view of how do we technically um, get the keywords, get the things that are that are statistically ranking and sort of jam them in the right places and kind of work it into into. And so that's sort of like forcing it in a way it does work. It does get you. I think the problem is, is that when people, human beings, and this is AI, which should probably open up a whole nother conversation uh you know are involved in in the creation of content so humans are going to react to you know they're they're there's the science of it which is like that is it is it you know aligned with the keywords that they're typing in google and this is just the seo portion of what we do we we actually cover many avenues e uh, email marketing uh as well as a little bit of social media in the b2b space mostly on linkedin but the in, in terms of on the seo piece as you mentioned it's the art. It's the art and the science. So the science is okay. First, we figure out, we reverse engineer who are these ideal um, customers of our our new clients. Typically, when we first start, and we create personas. And everybody talks about personas, but I think the thing that people miss the most because they're they're people look at personas mostly through the lens of personality. I think a lot of marketing agencies try to like capture like the, the how old they are and how much coffee they drink and these types of things that are that are cute. But aren't um, when you're in the B2B world, it's not it's not what moves the needle, right? So yeah. what are we break it down? And I, I I'm a big believer in frameworks. Um, business model generation uh, book that came out uh, a while back, sort of part of the startup uh, framework scene, really changed the way that I thought about it in, in distilling. I love when when things can be really distilled and be like a simple truth, right? So when you've got when you can nail help a client distill down a pain point, you know, down, let's say their top five pain points that their customer of this, with this job title faces. And then, you know, those are like the challenges and then, okay, what are their specific goals? And then, okay, what are their specific responsibilities? Those three sort of little, little snippets of information is, is perfect. You know, it's everything you need to create great content because then that that sends you down the and a it allows us to now empathize as well as our clients, marketing and sales team to say, let's look at this persona and try to understand how they're what they're going through, not like how do we sell to them? What what are the things that are going to make them buy? Um, it's like that's like the reverse way of thinking. I look at it the other way around, which is like, how is this is this person going to? How how do we show them that we know them? How do we show them that we that that they we empathize with what they're going through, so that we then touch upon the right points? We find those points on Google. So if we're talking about the SEO point of it, which is you know what words are they searching for that relate to these specific pain point topics? Then the art form comes in, which is when our strategist then like okay, how do we craft? Uh, and AI is now, I think uh, this is where AI can be a helpful part of this equation is coming up with lots of ideas for how to create and generate headlines that sort of that specifically hit a point, right? Not just like randomly, like give me, you know, 
10 titles about X, but like, here's a specific pain point. Here's a specific thing that's going on. Here's what weird people, you know, and then let's craft a, a title first and foremost that has meaning to the end audience, right? That, that, that they're going to, whether they search for it online and it shows up on Google on page one or two, and as they're flipping through and it catches their eye, cause it's something that, that stands out and it's something they care about. That's, that's door number one. Door number two is we're sending out, we want that, that headline to, to, to resonate with that specific audience, that segment. So that when we're feeding it through email as a, as a piece of content, like they're part of this free publication, they're getting this free content that they look at it and go, Oh, this isn't spammy at all. This isn't somebody trying to like sell me something. This is like, this is useful. I'm going to, I'm going to stay enrolled in this. So for instance, when we do what we call like email publications for now, 10 years, uh, close to uh, somewhere close to 50 clients total. Um, we've had, we did some research a couple of years back. It's a lot of work, but we did it. I think it's safe enough to say that it's been the same. 97% or more without like cold emailing people in these lists that are of a specific job title where we're feeding content that has been carefully crafted. 97% of them are happy or stay enrolled and only less than 3% of them unenroll, you know, uh, unsubscribe. And so that's just for me, first and foremost, like, of course, I want everybody to open and click on everything. But the reality is, that, you know, do no harm is sort of the rule number one right. with, with emails is like, okay, so create the content, it lives on the website, it's set up for SEO success as best as, as best as it can based on the client's existing credibility. Like we're, we're, we're building on the shoulders of whoever came before us or, or, you know, worked with that company before us so that they might have a domain authority of 10, which means that it's going to take them much, much longer to get ranked. Or they might have a domain authority of 30, 40, 50. And compared to their competitors, they've got, they can actually throw their weight around and we can actually get them, you know, some, some quick, quicker results. So we try to take like a three-pronged approach or maybe cover all all three bases, which is SEO and, and, you know, great content that people can find. It's easily accessible. Second base would be the email, make sure we can distribute it out. Um, so far, we're still in, it's still kind of the wild west with email marketing. Um, Europe and Canada are obviously highly restricted in that sense. The USA is still sort of like anything goes uh, for the most part, as long as you have an unsubscribe link. So that has been really successful for us because we're taking the right approach. And then the third thing is social media. Typically, we focus mostly on LinkedIn for clients. And it's just feeding their LinkedIn you know, company page and sometimes individual salespeople and so forth uh, with, with content showing up in those feeds. And it just reinforces and strengthens those connections and those uh, those interactions. So, um, as we start to wrap up here, I think you've you've got the the answer to this already, uh, or a lot of folks have already kind of figured it out. But who should be uh, who should reach out to you, and how should they get a hold of you? Uh, so, our website, and no no surprise there, uh, responsify.com. and. Um, you know, there's always a, a, a call to action, usually in the top right corner, uh, to, to book a time to speak with us. Um, yeah, I mean, first, I want to just kind of give kudos to my team. Like, it, it, all of this is is sort of like, a, you know, smoke and mirrors. Uh, if, when you, if you don't really have an amazing team and amazing technology in place. Um, so that's what I'm most grateful for. And uh, and I think anybody who who reaches out, you know, first and foremost, we're we're 
we're a very approachable uh, group. So anybody who really is just, even if they're in the position, and really in a B2B first and foremost, uh, where they've got, it's very challenging for them to uh, to consistently engage and educate their, 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 their audience and build that audience. Um, we're happy to just get on a call, you know, first and foremost, just to sort of see like, Hey, what, how's it going? You know, talk shop. What are the, some of the things you're doing? What's working? What's not, you know, is there, is there an opportunity? Do you think this is the right, something that might be helpful? And then we can kind of start to build that relationship if it makes sense. Um, and, and, and oftentimes it does. So yeah. And, and just that we're, you know, we're there to do it to help support them. I think that's the other thing is sometimes marketing people, they're put in a position where they're, uh, you know, unrealistically, it's kind of a weird thing. I mean, somebody should write a whole book just on this topic. Maybe I will someday and I can get some time back in my life. But like the marketing, like the, it's just such a weird scenario where almost always there's their marketing staff is the most understaffed part of the company yet it it can in reality be probably the most important and vital you know beating heart of whether or not people are going to find out about that company going to want to buy things from that company and so on and so it's just always amazing so we just take a very careful approach and let marketers know like listen we're not here to take your job they feel very quickly threatened yeah, that's exactly what like, I was I'm thinking. I'm the only one here, and, and and they haven't put any money into marketing, and I don't really have too much of a budget. It's like, okay, let's take a breath. I hear you. I'm so sorry you're going through that. Like, here's how we're going to work with your CEO and figure out what you need help with, the things that you're the best at so that you can focus on those things to make the biggest impact on your company. And then how do we help support you and create this, do the heavy lifting stuff that has been weighing you down, that has been causing, making it hard to make any progress because there's just too much for them to do. Um, and it's just expected that they're going to do it all, like that marketing people yeah. are just need to check every box and it's just too much. So, um, you know, what I've learned in life is just like, know what you're good at, always be willing to learn and figure out how to, how to assemble and work with the people who have strengths that you don't have. Like you should know a little bit about everything uh, as a good leader. And then, but you need to be able to pull, put people together that work well together, that are all, um, you know, in it to win it. And that each have strengths that come that combined together is, is sort of like a band of superheroes, you know? And so that's kind of what I've been, the way that I look at it. And that's how we want to sort of have our, our clients and the, and the heads of marketing think about like, we are, we want to be your sidekick. We want to be your, uh, you know, your, your, your co-pilot here and, and help you with this. So that's been the fun part when it, when it, when that goes right, it's a lot of fun, <laughs> uh, you know? And so, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been a wild ride. And, and we're, I think now that we're sort of in this, what would you call it? Uh, if, if through the first decade of Responsify, um, we're learning to adapt extremely quickly. Um, you know, things like AI, I think people got a little overhyped it. I think it's, it's absolutely going to completely change our entire world and in, in what we think about things however when it comes to like human whether human beings are still working i guess as long as human beings are still working we're still here to help make that a, a, a better experience uh for both the people doing the work and the, the clients who need those types of human services um you know specifically in that marketing segment so yeah so that that's that's kind of the long and short of what where we are and, and where we're going 
And and you answer the question which I normally ask at the very end, which is give you the three big things you picked up along the way. So uh, did with I hit that, three? did I hit three? Yes, you did. It was on the money too. It was great. Okay. Cool. So um, I with that, I want to thank you for being on the show. Um, it's been awesome to hear about your experience. Um, definitely want to check back in with you as you grow and progress and see what else you can share in the next 10 years of Responsify. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Consulting Trap. If you have suggestions for future episodes or would like to be a guest on our show, please send me an email at brian at podcastchef.com. That's B-R-I-A-N at P-O-D-C-A-S-T-C-H-E-F dot com. Before we go, we'd like to thank the sponsor of our show, Podcast Chef. Podcast Chef helps turn ordinary podcasting into a revenue-generating lead magnet for your consulting business. Our podcasting done for you service takes away the headache of starting up and running your own podcast. Reach out now to take advantage of our 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit us at podcastchef.com to find out how our team of experts can help you leverage podcasting to take your business to the next level. Hey, you. Yes, you. It's uh, 2024 and you don't have a podcast yet. Or maybe you do, but you're struggling with it. Uh, We will talk to you about that uh, for free. We'll help you figure out uh, where you might be stuck, uh, whether or not we can help you for sure. But also, uh, if you don't have one yet, what are the like first five things you can do? Uh, what are some great angles that you can use to make sure that your podcast was sustainable as you start to develop that moving forward? Uh, those consults are free. So reach out at the link below uh, in the show notes or email me at brian at podcastchef.com. Thanks. Hi, this is Brian. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, Our website, podcastchef.com, has a ton of useful information about how to best leverage podcasting to help you solve some of your business goals and challenges. You can also schedule a demo uh, where we can show you how specifically Podcast Chef and our team can help you with some of your podcasting goals. Thanks. Thanks.